Welcome to Christ Church Conway's podcast. We hope that the resources you find here are used by the Spirit to strengthen you in your faith through the study of Scripture and theology. If you have a Bible, we are looking this morning at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. So I invite you to turn there with me to this incredible letter that, that Paul wrote. And while you're turning there, I want to take just a second to kind of set the stage a little bit. A lot of Paul's letters are divided into uh, two sections. The, the indicative section where he talks about who we are in Christ, what Jesus has done. He, he makes all of these indicative or declarative statements about the gospel and about us. And then there's the imperative section where he teaches us how it is that we should live as Christians. And, and in the imperative section, you find all these commands. And it's important that we keep these in the right order. The indicatives always in the gospel economy come before the imperatives. The gospel grammar is indicative. You are forgiven. You are a new creation. Therefore, the imperatives live this way. It's never the other way around. It's never live this way so you can be. And so when we come to Ephesians chapter 4, you'll, you'll notice even in this very first verse that Paul has shifted gears. He's been telling us all of these wonderful things about the mystery of the gospel that has been revealed, about the election of God and, and, and the wonder of salvation by grace and all of this. And here he begins to shift gears. And he's telling us now, here's how you live in light of the gospel. Now I say that, I'm going to do as, as, best, as good a job as I can to remind us that he's not teaching us how to become a Christian at this point. He's teaching us how to live as Christians. But I want to say this right up front so that you don't make that shift in your own mind. Because we're all very, very prone to run back to works. I don't know what it is. We, we simultaneously hate the law and love to try to prove ourselves by law keeping. So with that, let's read God's word together. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Fathers, we look at your word. And as we hear these imperatives and hear this urging from Paul, Oh, how quickly we're reminded that we fail to do these things. And so as we look at your word this morning, would you appropriately convict us, comfort us with your gospel, and strengthen us by your spirit working through the word preached that we might indeed live lives worthy of the calling to which we have been called. We ask this in Christ's most precious name. Amen. Well, Paul, as I said, has shifted gears, and and he's wanting us to to begin thinking about what the Christian life looks like. How is it that we're to live? And he uses this metaphor that we talked about with the kids of of walk this way, walk in a manner. And, And we see this idea of walking, we see this metaphor used all throughout the Bible to as kind of a descriptor of 
the Christian life. So almost all the time that you see us being encouraged to walk in a certain way or not to walk in a certain way, it's talking about our manner of life. And, and you could just as easily gloss it as live in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. He, he's instructing us here on how we are to live. We're big on grace here. We're in, in, in the Reformed world and, and in this church, we, we love the idea of grace and we should because it is by grace through faith that we have salvation. It's by grace through faith that we are brought into the kingdom of God. We stand on grace. If there is no grace and we have to offer up our works for our standing with God, then we are done. We have no hope. But, what we're going to see this morning is this grace in which we are called is actually transformative grace. It changes us. And so we are called to live a certain way. Now to understand these imperatives that Paul gives us, to understand these, these calls to righteousness, these calls to holiness, we need to stop for a second and, and make sure that we're all on the same page in understanding the calling to which we have been called. Because understanding that calling really is the basis for everything that he's telling us to do, not just here, but, but really throughout the rest of the epistle. Understanding that calling helps us understand what, what the manner of our life should be. It also helps us understand the means, the, the base of the Christian life. That it's in fact not just our buckling down and trying harder. So the first thing that we need to, to see about the calling to which we have been called is that our calling depends on God and not on us. This is very, very important, and we see this at a number of places in Scripture. I'll just read a couple of verses that make this very clear. We see in Romans 8.30 that, that our calling is founded on God's eternal purpose. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. In this passage that some people refer to as kind of Paul's golden chain, we're reminded here that our being called is God's prerogative. It's His election. It's His work to call us. Jesus tells us in John 6, no one comes unless the Father draws him. It's the, it's the same idea. It's God who draws us. It's God who calls us. We see also in 1 Corinthians 1.26 where Paul writes, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. And then he goes on to talk about how God uses the foolish things of the world. That's you and I. To accomplish his will. So our calling, that this calling that, that we're to live a, a walk in a manner worthy of, it, it starts, we must begin by understanding that, that it depends on God calling us and not on us even being worthy of being called. He doesn't call us because he looks and is like, you know what, I can use this person. That person is really gifted in this way or this person will really benefit the church. No. It's his prerogative of free grace 
quite apart from anything that we might merit, that the calling that we are to walk in is based on. And this is fantastic news. This is absolutely fantastic news. The the second thing that we see when we start looking at this calling that we're to walk in a manner worthy of is that our calling is centered on Jesus. So it depends on God and it's centered on Jesus. Romans 1.6, you who were called to belong to Christ, Paul says. That's the calling to which we have been called. We, we were called to belong to Jesus in 1 Corinthians 1. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Ephesians 4.4 4, that we're going to look at in, uh, next week. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Paul here is expounding on the call of the gospel. We've got to understand that that our calling is centered on Jesus. That, first and foremost, is what we're called or, or who we're called to is Jesus Christ. Why? Because He is the one, and and He alone is the one who lived and died and rose again. Jesus alone is the one who died for our sins. His blood alone is the blood that washes us clean. In Him, and in Him alone, do we stand justified before God. But in Him, we most assuredly do stand justified before God. Our calling is centered On Jesus Christ. Third, our calling gives us a new identity. Paul tells us in Romans 1-7 to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Now, you don't have to look very hard in in Pauline literature or in the rest of the New Testament or or even in the Old Testament that, that we weren't called because we were saints. That's not the case at all. The the, the case of our call is not that you were a saint and so God called you that you might continue to be a saint. No. You were a rebel to His will. You were dead in your sin. You were not seeking God. You had the venom of asps under your tongue. You were totally satisfied with your flesh. Utterly sinful. Totally depraved. But God in Christ calls you a saint. One of my favorite realities as you read through the letters of Paul is that when he writes to the Galatians, he's very harsh with them because they mess up the gospel. And that's why he's writing this letter. They've added some works to the gospel, and Paul will have absolutely none of it. But to the Corinthians, who undoubtedly, the church in Corinth was a church that most of us might visit once and then think, we're never coming back here. These people don't understand holiness. They're getting drunk at the table. They're doing all kinds of things. I mean, it was insane. Our good old American Southern pietism, would we would not stick around for it. But Paul calls these people saints. Not because of their behavior. 
but because they've been given a new identity in Jesus Christ. And that's what our calling does. It gives us, and it makes us somebody new. There's all of this language and talk right now about identity. And that's a huge buzzword and, and trying to figure out identity and all this stuff. The gospel assigns us a new one. That we are saints. That we belong to Jesus. But then we also read in Romans 9, 25, where he's loosely quoting Hosea 2, verse 23. Those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. See, this calling to which we have been called, that, that, that we're to walk in a manner worthy of, is a calling that depends on God, that is centered on Jesus, and that gives us in Him a new identity. As one that God says you are mine. As one of whom God says you are the beloved. As, as one that God says you are holy. And not because of anything that we've done. Go back and read the story of Hosea. It's a, it's a phenomenal story. It, it's a scandalous story, really. And the whole point of it is that God calls those who aren't his mine. And he calls those who, who had not received mercy, and he shows them mercy. And as Paul says here, he calls those who were not the beloved. Those who were very much on the outside looking in. Those who very much were strangers and exiles. He calls them, he calls us, beloved. That's your identity in Jesus Christ. You are God's. You are his beloved. And he has declared that you are holy. The fourth thing we see about our calling that we're to walk in a manner worthy of, is that our calling has ethical implications. Colossians 3.15 says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Now you may think, wait, how is, how is that an ethical implication? How is that an ethical obligation? Because we're, we're told to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. We're told to, to bring our, our emotions, to, to bring our thoughts, to, to bring our lives in submission to the peace of Jesus Christ, in submission to the peace of this gospel message that says you are forgiven. We're told, as we just sang, to bid our anxious fears goodbye, not because this world isn't supremely jacked up, not because we're not broken and anxious to the core, but because we have been brought into the peace of Jesus Christ. And we're to let that peace rule in our hearts rather than letting the anxieties of the world rule in our hearts. I get it. It's not easy. I get that. But that's the calling to which we have been called. To let peace rule in us. And specifically, the peace of Christ that announces 
that we have standing before God, that we are beloved, that we are holy, that we are his, that we are forgiven, that we are justified, that we are sanctified. We also see in Galatians 5.13, Paul says, You were called to freedom, brothers, only... Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. We were called in grace. We were were called to grace. We were called to, to the gracious Lord Jesus Christ. We were called to freedom, free from the condemnation of the law. But, Paul says, that doesn't mean you get to just serve your flesh. Rather, rather, through love, serve one another. See, when... When we're freed from the law, it's not a freedom to do whatever we jolly well please. It's a freedom to lay our lives down for one another, to serve one another, to love one another. Finally, when we look at calling, and I've limited this study to to Pauline texts, and, and there's more that could be said beyond that, but we've only got so long. Growth in worthiness of our calling depends on God. Growth in worthiness of our calling depends on God. And this may be one of the the, the most important things for us to understand about our calling. We need to understand that our calling depends on God, that our calling is centered on Christ, that that our calling gives us a new identity and that it has ethical implications. But we also must understand that if we are to grow in worthiness of our calling, the Spirit of Christ must be at work in us because we can't do that on our own. Why? Because God called fools and sinners people incapable of serving him, people unwilling, uninterested in serving him. That's who he called to himself. The least of these. So Paul prays for the Thessalonians and records his prayer for us in 2 Thessalonians 2. To this end we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by His power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is important because when we start hearing these imperatives that Paul is going to begin laying out and and continue laying out through the rest of this letter, our, our, our propensity, the first thing we do is we go, okay, so here's what I've got to do this week. Here's how I have to be better. And look, I get it. There's a a synergistic side to progressive sanctification. I get that. Monergism, justification. One person working, that's what that fancy word means. That's what we talk about with justification. It's God's work in us. When we're talking about growing and all, yes, he calls us two things. But... We do well to remember our catechetical definition of sanctification. Sanctification is a work of God's free grace. Even our sanctification is His grace at work in us, whereby we are enabled to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. 
this is important because we hear these imperatives and we're like, okay, I need to be more patient this week. I need to be more humble this week. I need to bear with people better this week. I need to do this. I need to do that. And, and what does it result in? Almost the exact opposite every time. Why? Because on our own, we can't do it and we fail before we get to lunch and then we're just mad. Because we've tried to do it in our flesh. When Jesus tells us, apart from me, you can do no good thing. Nothing. If we're going to grow in our worthiness of the calling to which we have been called, that we might walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called, we have to see ourselves as absolutely dependent on the Spirit for that work. We need the Spirit to work in us to enable us to put to death the deeds of the body. We need His grace daily. That's how we grow in a manner worthy of the calling. It's being called into deeper and deeper dependence on the one on whom our calling depends in the first place. So those are the things that we need to understand about the calling to which we have been called as we dive into these five things that he tells us to do. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling, and he gives us the manner he defines it for us with easy words like humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another in love. Like, you know, okay, cool. Got it, Paul. How's that done by Wednesday? What's the rest of the week look like? So I want to reiterate, you you won't have it done by Wednesday. You won't have it done by next Sunday. You won't have it done before glory. But you might get better at it if you continue to lean on the Spirit to put to death the deeds of the flesh. So how are we to walk? What is the manner in which we were to walk? First, with all humility. Now, why, why is that in step? Why, why is that walking in a manner worthy of our calling? Well, remember what we said about our calling. It depends on God and His divine purpose, His divine eternal prerogative, and not our merit. If I'm trying to live the Christian life, and I'm being prideful about my piety and about how righteous I am and about how long my quiet times are and about all of this, that, and the other, then I've missed the point entirely. Because the very calling that I have came when I was a sinner. And so when pride at our righteousness starts to creep in, we're no longer living in a manner worthy of our calling. We're no longer walking in a manner worthy of this calling that came to us while we were still sinners. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. Not 13. That's not right at all. Verse 3. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. 
Why? Well, he goes on to tell us, because that's the pattern we saw in Christ. That's what Jesus did. He considered us in our sin more significant than himself in his divinity and came as a servant and then laid down his life for us that we might be redeemed. Walking in a manner worthy of our calling is walking in a manner of Christ. We see also in Colossians chapter 2, verse 18, hopefully I got the verse right this time, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason and by his sensuous mind. And y'all are going, ah, you missed it again. It didn't say anything about humility in that verse. But this word, insisting on asceticism, is the same word. See, what humility isn't is punishing oneself. And so when people insist that we live this ascetic life of of, of punishing ourselves and and going to these extreme measures, and people in church history have gone to some wildly extreme measures, we're also not walking in humility. We're also not walking in a manner worthy of our calling because that's not true humility. But it's thinking that I can humiliate myself to such a degree that God will have pity on me. No, gospel humility is recognizing that he has had pity on you. And so you need not, you dare not stand in pride. Gospel humility is not humiliating yourself to gain his pity. Gentleness. With all humility and gentleness. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, we read these incredible words. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in gentleness. We're like, wait. We don't get to like spiritually smack them around first. We, we don't get to, to first make sure that they know that they are filthy, dirty sinners. And, and that, it's, that, it, that it's only our deep sense of grace that they get to sit with us in church. No. We get to restore them in gentleness just like we have been restored in gentleness. And we read in Galatians 5.23 that this is, in fact, a fruit of the Spirit. That it's only the Spirit who can work in us. This type of life. This type of character. Patience. With all humility and gentleness, 
with patience. Again, how does this fit with the calling to which we have been called? Well, when do you find it difficult to be patient with other Christians? Undoubtedly, and I may be admitting too much of myself here, but it's it's when you see them messing up, particularly in ways that you don't. And you just can't figure out for the life of you why they can't get it right. Why they can't do... It's not that hard. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of His calling. Sanctification is a work of God's free grace in us. I'm not saying it's okay to sin. I'm saying that the process of growth is just that. It's a process of growth, which means we got to be patient with each other because you're going to mess up and I'm going to mess up and they're going to mess up. And we've got to patiently restore one another in a spirit of gentleness because we humbly recognize that that's what's happened to us. We see this, of course, Throughout the New Testament. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, we read, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Why was God patient with us? Because we were slow. We were slow on the uptake of holiness. We were slow on the uptake of the gospel. And if he hadn't been patient with us, he would have destroyed us. But he was patient with us. And he gave us life. Jesus tells the parable reminding us, not to rip weeds out of the field because when we do, we're liable to rip some of the wheat with it. What's the point of that parable? In part, it's this. Slow the heck down. Be patient with one another. Because it's growth that is the norm for the Christian life. And sometimes you Christians, us Christians, when we start growing, we look real weedy. And if we're not patient, we'll rip one another right out of the ground and throw each other to the burn pile. When if we would have let them keep growing, we would have realized, oh, wait, they're wheat after all. They're what was supposed to be growing here. Patience also is a fruit of the Spirit. Bearing with one another in love. Here's the thing about this word, bearing with one another in love. It implies, no, it demands that it's going to be hard. It doesn't say walking with one another in love. This isn't a stroll around the walking path at Laurel Park where we're just enjoying time together. This is, you make life really difficult. And I'm going to walk with you anyway. 
because I love you. Bearing with one another. If you're looking for a church that doesn't require anything from you to love the other people in the church, you're not looking for a church. You're not looking for a Christian church. Because the overarching assumption of the Bible is that we're hard to deal with. That we wake up real cranky sometimes. That we completely miss it sometimes. And that we need to be born with in love all the time. I know. I have to be dealt with this way. And so do you. And if you think you don't, you're the only one that thinks that. Because everybody else is doing it with you constantly because you think you don't need it. Paul gets it. He knows the church is a mess. He knows it's, it's a wreck because it's full of wrecked, messy people. It's full of wrecked, messy people, yes, that have been called saints, yes, that have been called the beloved, yes, that have been called to belong to God, but it's a growth process. And so we've got to bear with each other. Rather than cutting each other off impatiently, rather than than ungently demanding some standard that we're not keeping ourselves, we bear with each other. And we do it in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Very quickly, I'll say this. First of all, again, as was the last one, bearing with one another in love. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. Peace is a fruit of the Spirit. Are are we seeing none of this happens apart from God working in us? But there's two key words in this last statement that describes the manner of a life worthy of the calling to which we have been called. Eager and maintained. Mounts, uh, one Greek guy that, that has a pretty helpful dictionary, he, he says this, the, the word there for, for eager, spaldonzatas, is to hurry, to be bent up on, to endeavor earnestly, to strive. Is that how you think about maintaining the spirit of peace? the spirit of unity in the bond of peace. Is that what you're bent on doing? Is that what you're earnestly seeking with each other and with other believers that aren't part of this body? See, it doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen by accident. If if we're... We have to bear with one another in love. Why? Because we're not humble, we're not patient, we're not gentle. If we're not eager to maintain unity with one another, listen, before church is out, before this sermon is over, and it's almost over, every one of us could find a reason to separate ourselves from every one of the rest of us. 
And if we're not eager to maintain the unity of the gospel to which we have been called, we will. We will find that reason and we'll lean into it. Eagerness to pursue that unity is the first thing. The second key word is maintain. It doesn't say eager to create, eager to establish, eager to maintain the unity. Why? A couple reasons. One, we couldn't establish it if we tried. Two, it's already been established by the finished work of Jesus Christ. The unity that we have with one another is that I'm a sinner and you're a sinner and Jesus died for both of us. And Jesus gave his spirit to both of us. And Jesus united by his spirit both of us to him in grace. And we're to be eager to maintain that which he has established. And all of a sudden we see the deep problem with our refusal to do this. It's when we don't maintain that which he established by the shedding of his blood, we're essentially flipping the bird to the shedding of his blood. And we're saying, I don't care. I don't care that you died for that person. I don't care that you cleansed them by your death. I will not walk in unity with them. Your sacrifice doesn't matter. Eager to maintain what Christ established by his life, death, and resurrection with one another. That's the life worthy of the manner of the calling with which we have been called. It's a life of extending grace to sinners because that's the, that's the nature of the calling to which we have been called. Might we learn to live that way and walk that way with each other. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for the richness of your word. And, and oh, it cuts deep. It cuts so very deep. But you are gracious. And you answer Paul's prayer to make us worthy, to grow us up in this again and again. And so we come to you and ask that you would help us by your spirit that we might bear his fruit in abundance. And so live a life worthy of the calling to which we have been called. Amen.